volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello, and welcome to season two of Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host and founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based in Boulder, Colorado, helping people transform into confident leaders. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coachmetrics, a cloud-based tool we developed to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. Thanks for joining me today to talk about the future of leadership. So it's December 20th at this time of recording. And this time of year for me is always an opportunity to reflect back on the year of the past and what's coming up here in the future. And I fully believe that I'm the architect of my life, both personally and professionally. And being the architect partially means that at the beginning of every year, I start with a plan and then I adjust that plan throughout the year because there are always new opportunities that come up for my life and always new challenges as well. But for that plan to be deeply meaningful to me, it has to be created by me, it has to be driven by what I'm passionate about, and I have to have a voice into that plan. This time of year is also a great time for leaders at all levels to get back to basics, to pull back from the chaos and the complexity of our workplace, and to create alignment with their teams and their people. But it has to be deeply meaningful for your people or they won't buy into the process, right? Your plan can be a great plan and people might understand it intellectually, but they won't be committed to it. And as my special guest today, Doug Gray says in the episode, he says, if they aren't part of the process, they won't feel a sense of agency, a sense of control over their life and the decisions that they're making about their life. My guest today is Doug Gray. He's the CEO of Action Learning Associates, focused on outcome-based leader development. He's worked with well over 10,000 leaders in multiple business sectors, schools, colleges, families, and nonprofits. He speaks and writes about leadership throughout North America, and he recently launched his third book, OKR Leadership, How to Apply Silicon Valley Secret Sauce to Your Career, Team, and Organization. In today's interview with Doug, we are going to explore how OKRs, Objectives and Key Results, can help you create alignment, focus, accountability, and transparency with your team members, your team, and in your organization. But most of all, you'll create a sense of agency within your people because when your people have agency, they'll be more committed to you and more committed to the business. I think this is a really practical episode today that's tied to our season twos of objective and theme of organizational and cultural alignment. So I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And also as a quick reminder, don't forget to check out our episode notes on our podcast page at 512solutions.com because for all of these episodes in season two, we're also going to share some additional resources 
that will help you apply the frameworks that we talk about in the episode to what you're doing as a leader in the workplace. So as an example, today you'll find a leadership alignment tool. You'll also find a link to our 39-page ultimate goal-setting guide and a number of other resources that Doug's provided to help you learn more about OKRs and aligning your team. Let's go to the interview now. So Doug, we, we talked before the show that this season is all about organizational and cultural alignment. And I love your expertise and I think it's perfectly suited for the season as we get into objectives and key results in your new book that just launched around OKR leadership. Before we get there though, I'd love to ask my guests about what they're noticing in the workplace and, and in the world. What are some of the trends that you're seeing out there? Probably the same thing you are, Sal. A desire for people to have a voice is, is mm. what comes to mind first. Millennials need agency. They need uh, the psychological term, but they need a sense of control, right? Uh, I'm struck by the, the, the climbing metaphor here. Uh, just as you need good ropes and secure partners, you need to know that your voice will be heard and you can contribute to problem solving and solutions in collaborative ways. So that implies that you're not only going to be able to collaborate, but your voice will be heard and supported and you'll be able to move forward in some meaningful objective. Mm. Yeah, we see the same thing in our work, certainly. I've been doing a lot of work and thought around what do humans need in the workplace to be successful? And certainly that their contributions are valued and that their voice is heard. You use the term agency. Tell us more about that term from a psychology standpoint? So the, the short definition is agency is a sense of control. Mm. It's a sense that I have an impact or value I, I can contribute to the team. OKRs, maybe it's worth explaining, have a, a, a longer history over 50 years. Um, they originated from Andy Grove at Intel in Silicon Valley. And John Doerr uh, describes Andy Grove as the father of OKRs. Yeah. So in John Doerr's book, Measure What Matters, which I highly recommend, I think many of your readers would, or, or listeners would enjoy it, he talks about four objectives. He doesn't talk about agency. I think he missed it. But the four that he talks about are alignment and connecting for teamwork. Teams expect that alignment. No cares provided. Tracking for accountability and transparency. So you've got alignment and tracking. Stretching. Uh, OKRs are not about operational consistency or doing things the way you did in the previous year. They're about aspirational goals, which are likely to fail. If 60% of your OKRs are aspirational, uh, for instance, at Tesla, you're going to create a battery that is smaller and more impactful that's going to revolutionize uh, automated cars. By analogy, it also revolutionizes weed whackers. My wife went to the local store, bought a weed whacker, <laughs> and it revolutionized <laughs> consumer buying behavior. So now she yeah. brings the weed whacker home and says, honey, what do you think about using this stuff <laughs> instead <laughs> of the other one? So Tesla's OKRs were uh, an example of yeah. ways to change batteries and such. But Google is a tremendous example of this as well. Every 18 to 24 months, we see the next Google innovation. OKRs are integral to their decision-making. So we've got alignment, tracking, stretching for amazing innovation, not the operational. And the fourth one that John Doerr talks about is focus, focusing mm -hmm. on uh, resources and committing to whatever those priorities might be. And I think those are good. And I think from a software perspective, they make great sense. And they helped with decision-making at Intel and Google and, and countless other organizations. But I think they missed the agency point. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's where uh, our work in leadership comes into play. Leaders, by definition, influence others' behavior, right? So how do you do so? Well, you need to believe that you've got capacity to influence others. Yeah. Long answer. There you yeah. go. That makes a lot of sense. And um, just uh, two points, one for my listeners. We'll, we'll define OKRs in a moment. But if you haven't heard of the terminology, OKR stands for Objectives and Key Results. When I asked you about trends, one of the first things that you said was about millennials. Are you seeing that need or that desire for agency more in that generation or what's showing up for you? No, but I think they're more vocal. Uh, Time Magazine yeah. today has Greta, 16-year-old. Yes. Uh, not, a gen, not a millennial, but uh, a voice, right, which wants to be heard. Frankly, uh, I, I hear the same thing from 50-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Boomers who have had a massive impact on their organization value tradition and structure and results and the way in which things have been done in the past. They also need agency. So yeah. no, I don't think it's restricted to certain generations. Yeah, I, I agree fully. But And it's interesting, though, we just hear it maybe more from the millennials and the Gen Z. It's something that at least is more vocal for them, but not necessarily a different human need that someone that's 40 or 50 or 60 might have in the workplace. On the nose. <laughs> On the nose, yeah, exactly. Awesome, so let's talk uh, OKRs a little bit for some background. You mentioned sort of the, the long Silicon Valley history that they have with Andy Grove and Intel, and from what I've seen, certainly with a lot of my clients and, and especially in the fast scaling tech space, people often reference Google. They've done a lot to popularize OKRs as a way to focus. What are OKRs from your definition, from your standpoint? You know, I think one of the most impactful things we can do sometimes is be clear about our future, our intentions. I know that that's a theme for you in this series. And psychologists would say the exact same thing. Today we're talking, it's in December and we're looking at a new year, a new, a new cell, a new calendar, a new year, yes, a new, right. whatever that could be, right? The, the right. best year yet, right? Yeah, let's go, man. Yeah. <laughs> And, and as we think about some of that messaging, I think sometimes it gets uh, hard or messy or complex. You probably know that a lot of the written goals are not attained by many folks. However, OKRs are public. So when I write them and share them and distribute them, it's the difference uh, between having them in my journal or posted in my office door and having them shared with my work colleagues. So if somebody knows that one of my OKRs in Q1 is to accelerate book sales or share the value of OKRs in the world, then they're willing to help me, just as you are, with that OKR. By a, another example, uh, if you think that you've got a, a need for a 30-minute meeting with the CEO of the company and you read their, their OKRs and they don't have anything to do with what you think is really important, you will not seek that meeting. So OKRs are like a window and a door. They, they could be uh, a portal through which you'd, you'd walk to have that meeting with somebody or a doorway that you'd walk through. But you might also close the door if it's going to be a distraction for that person yeah. in business. Does that help? Yeah. yeah, that helps quite a bit. And part of what I've heard about the way Google uses OKRs is everyone from the CEO down, their, their OKRs are, are literally public. They People are always know what others folks are focused on. There's a bunch of software companies, about a dozen now that are pretty good, that provide that customized software should anybody need it. 
But frankly, it's not necessary. You could write your OKRs on an Excel spreadsheet or a PDF or Word. Or I've had people send me photos and videos. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's mm-hmm. what I intend to do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. The point is to keep it simple so your intention is clear enough. You can say maybe two or three of your objectives. And maybe for each objective, you've got three or four measures, KRs, that are quantifiable. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So the, the objective defines the what and the key results, the measurable components underneath that objective define how you know if you've gotten there. Exactly. Yeah. So I just got off the phone with a, with a fellow at a Fortune 500 company who says, we're interested in expanding my OKRs. We've worked with you for a, about a year now. And I've done, I don't know, 10 or 12 OKR leadership training programs with this company. So they're beginning to use this language, this vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says, Doug, I get it with the P&L. It's easy enough to quantify my objectives. And we've always thought that way. What if I broaden my objectives? And I said, good job. <laughs> what if I had a, an objective that relates to people? So I suggested, absolutely. People, process, and technology are three chunks that people have sometimes on performance evaluations. Right? Yeah. So what if one of your people objectives is to retain 100% of desired employees in Q2? And your KRs include having stakeholder interviews uh, or engagement interviews, whatever they call them, stay interviews at that company, with 100% of your employees every month or every quarter? Or what if you had uh, OKR accountability triads established every quarter and you ask all your direct reports, have you met this month with your uh, OKR accountability triad? The beauty of that is that that's how we learn. And it creates higher engagement and it leads to higher sense of agency and the other points I made, focus and alignment and tracking and stretching. Yeah, makes sense. How do OKRs differ from the more traditional ways of creating focus, KPIs, MBOs, smart goals? And you may have already touched on some of that, but I just want to make sure that our listeners can see the clarity and the differentiation here. It's a great question because I'm often asked this. And, and the short answer is it's radically different. You and I were trained this, top-down. And the Industrial Revolution, the Manufacturing Revolution, process improvements have all focused on what the boss wants. It's top-down. MBOs are written by whom? By the manager. Smart goals are static, and they they work if you're uh, on a production line or you're flipping burgers at a restaurant, but they don't work in the knowledge economy. Mm -hmm. So those are top-down and rigid. In contrast, OKRs, are hierarchical, interactive, they require collaboration and connectivity. So it's a difference between having your hands go up and down in in describing a matrix or an organization and having your hands go side to side. Well, if we've got smart people solving problems, which is how I describe most organizations that are knowledge workers, they don't want to be told what to do. MBOs de-incentivize, demotivate, discourage. In contrast, OKRs are simple enough that they can embrace them. And it doesn't matter what the segment is. It doesn't have to be technology or finance, which are higher margin. It could be, I've got guys in auto salvage. I've got healthcare leaders. I've got tech leaders. It, it doesn't matter what the sector is. Yeah. I was working with a biotech company yesterday and we had a two-day strategic planning session. And, and part of what we're working on is linking their organizational OKRs down to all the way down to their individual performance OKRs, if you will. 
So we set OKRs at the organizational level. They've got three unifying OKRs. That's how we're referring to them. And then each area of the business has OKRs at the you know, biz- business unit or functional level. And then eventually that'll trickle down with individual OKRs. Tell us about how you think about alignment across, you know, from the business level down to the individual level and the frequency and cadence in which those OKRs should be set. Yeah, it's a great question. And and I want to suggest uh, with love that you've got the wrong verb, buddy. <laughs> it's not cascading. Yeah, it's integrating. Yeah. Is that how you refer to it? Integrating or? Or sharing. Mm-hmm. Yep, I do. And the mm-hmm. reason is um, cascading is is a hidden vocabulary or parlance for what you and I were taught. It's that top-down right. approach, right? So the notion that the boss's OKRs are going to cascade down is sort of like disguising MBOs. And I wouldn't want anybody to think that uh, who's listening to this. In contrast, if you looked at an organizational network chart for uh, Amazon, there are clusters of teams. You know the two pizza story. If more than, what, eight people? Mm-hmm. Or is it four people? <laughs> two slices. <laughs> Can't four, meet to yeah. solve a problem if the team's too big. Yeah. At IBM, you probably know, there's a similar model, a network analysis model that looks more like a snowflake or a spider web. And the 10 people that, that you work with most often are the 10 people who do your performance review. It's not your manager. So those other nine, let's say, of internal associates or colleagues mm-hmm. are the folks who have a better insight into how you work. Well, if they're providing performance uh, assessments or evaluations that contribute in some way, aren't they connected to you? Yeah. We see this in social media, right? We see... Uh, folks describe the connection culture or economy that we've got today. You bought that Christmas gift because somebody referred to it or had a positive review on Amazon. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rather than maybe making a, making a direct attribution based on what your research or something. We're a connected society. So we make decisions all the time based on those referral, referrals. So I think OKRs are just uh, a smarter, more accurate way to describe how you make decisions. Mm -hmm. You're influenced by the five people who said, uh, go ski at this mountain rather than that mountain in Colorado. And, And then you go there. Your senior leaders are probably smart, talented, and results oriented individuals. We also know the hidden costs when those driven leaders don't have healthy and aligned relationships. They lack trust, they avoid productive conflict, and end up revisiting decisions over and over again. Teamwork at the top shouldn't be this hard. And the changing landscape of business with disruptive technologies, culture shifts, and new demands require leadership teams to move faster. At 512 Solutions, we don't run fluffy team building programs. Our holistic and proven process integrates the best of team coaching, individual executive development, assessments, and evidence-based measurement to create sustainable results where we raise the consciousness level of both the individual and the team. As a result, you will have a team that communicates better, collaborates with ease, and increases its agility in dealing with the increasingly complex workplace that is today. This is a program for all executives who care about the future of work. You can learn more on our website at www.512solutions.com. Let's go back to our interview now. 
So if you're working with a team at the top, how do they align an organization using OKRs? I often give them frameworks. I mentioned the people, process, and technology, those three buckets. Yep. Or I'll say, let's start with your, your P&L. As a business, you've got to provide uh, and demonstrate ongoing uh, shareholder value. You've got to make sure that you're able to provide tremendous customer service. This, these are now norms in your business, in my business. It used to be that customer service was sort of a variable. You know, you'd go to this store rather than that store because there were notions that Nordstrom provided better customer service than a, than a JCPenney's or Macy's or something, whatever is in your neighborhood. The point is that customer care is a norm. Profitability is a norm. What becomes more important now is, uh, I think, things like to what extent are people collaborating in that decision-making and supporting you in, in solving your problems? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Teams. Uh, another example of this is um, healthcare. The Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic responded in a collaborative way to solve problems, basically because they, post-World War, knew that that saved money and led to more innovation. If you look at all of those innovative recognitions from Nobel Prizes to um, trademarks, they're coming from collaborative teams in the U.S., mm-hmm. which makes us hated by some of our competitors globally. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We're seeing a lot of cross-functional teams working differently together in software. It might come together as a squad where you've got uh, someone from a development team and product management, maybe marketing and other components of the business coming together. How can OKRs be used in that? I'll call it non-traditional format, but it's becoming more and more needed and will become more of the norm in the future where it, there are more and more cross-functional networked teams, if you will, in the way you just described it. How do OKRs get integrated into how those teams work together? The short answer is uh, by making things visible. Uh, I'll give you an example from a client in Nebraska who uh, runs a plant. So he's got maybe 80 or 100 people working at this plant, and they remanufacture motors. Not a very sexy example, right, for OKRs. But he looked at this content. He said, we need to implement this. And he wrote his OKRs, and then he had his direct reports do so. And they posted them on, on the wall in the lobby with three foot by two foot pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. So now he's got accountability, he's got transparency, and it's very inexpensive to do this. But, and then he had a vendor come in last week and the vendor said, oh, this is interesting. I've never seen this before. What the heck's an OKR and, and how can I help? So the vendor reads uh, one of his objectives is to reduce inventory costs. And the vendor says, I can help. I don't need to be here monthly. I could be here by, by weekly. Let's cut your inventory costs in half. Would that help you? And the plant manager said, of course, shakes his hand, Mm -hmm. gives him a hug, whatever he does. Now you've got other people solving problems for your team that lead to business success. Did that answer your question? Yeah, because of the transparency component of it. And it doesn't need to be just internally, which is Mm -hmm. what we commonly think. It can be with our partners, with our vendor partners, with our clients and customers. Yeah. Which is where feedback comes from anyways. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the transition from OKRs as a management or decision-making tool to a leadership tool. Yeah. Because now, now we're, we're influencing the behavior of others. Yeah, it makes sense. Part of the clarity that I want to get, even if just for myself and maybe for my listeners too, is how 
the distinction with the cascading approach. So if I'm working with an executive team or I'm on an executive team at the top of an organization and I'm really thinking through my, our strategic plan for 2020, uh, how, how does it work? In other words, um, if I've got you know three clear OKRs for the business in 2020, I think you're saying it's, it doesn't quite work traditionally where you're cascading those three clear OKRs down through the organization. Correct. And, and it's because that's old school thinking. If we wanted to manufacture something in the same way in which we did 20 years ago, we want to do it with more efficiency, effectiveness, and outcomes. That's a, a model. Okay. But we're not talking about that anymore. Now we're talking about innovation because we're getting beyond the basic demands of profitability and customer service. But where does innovation come from? It comes from cross-functional teams of smart people and my example of soliciting feedback from customers. So it's critical that your organizational uh, executive team has that available so that people are clear about where we're going. Mm -hmm. And it's critical that every team at every level writes their own OKRs. Yes. So you got the plant manager and the general manager and the district manager and the regional sales and all that writing their own and driving their own business. Yeah, it makes sense. Back to the agency piece. Um, they're closer to the front lines of the business. Uh, so they, they understand what the customer needs or what's happening in product development. And so they become responsible for those functional areas of the business or areas of the business OKRs. Yes. And now you're getting at what's radical. So for instance, back to the Tesla thing, if you've got an operational objective, which is we're going to make money. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got an aspirational objective, which is we're going to make a smaller battery that drives autonomous vehicles or consumer behavior for weed whackers. That aspirational objective should fail 60% of the time. So if you and I looked at a color-coded chart, an Excel chart of, of somebody's business performance, there should be more red than yellow or green, which is radical because any process manager is going to look at that and say, yikes, <laughs> we've got right. inefficiencies. Right. We've got safety issues. We've mm -hmm. got quality concerns. Too much yeah. red. But an OKR professional would say red is good. More red. How come you don't have 60% red? Yeah. You're not being aspirational enough. We did this. Politically, when we landed a man on the moon in less than nine years, I think mm -hmm. it was seven, with less technology, Sal, than you and I have, I'm told, in this, in our smartphone. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so if we, if we think in that way, what did that collaborative team do to do a moonshot? Now we're innovating in ways that uh, are formulaic, it makes enough sense, but they're not restricting people. They're encouraging us to share our OKRs with other teams so that we can collaborate fast, faster and sooner. And boom. Yeah. This is, uh, Google X has their uh, warehouse and their hangar for this mm -hmm. purpose. Yeah. So you've, you've used the term 60% a few times. The way that Google does it, I, it's the same format, I think. If you are succeeding with more than 60% or you've exceeded more than 60% of your objective, then you've set the bar too low. And is the point is not to yeah, do what go Google does. The point is to do what your business or organization needs to do. Yep. So I've got a fourth generation retail company here in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Yes. They don't care what Google does. Their business sector is different. They're in retail. 
what they care about is how they can drive their own objectives. They've got eight departments so that they can drive profitability, consumer behavior, and retain their key people. Those are their three objectives. Every department manager is doing it differently, but the net effect is that they're uh, engaged and they're focused and they're stretching. And they had, uh, as a result of some of this, their best year ever in like mm-hmm. eight years. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's what my question was, is the 60% applicable to every company or can a company say, no, we really want our OKs, KRs to be more like 75 or 80% or 90% or even 100%? What's, the, what's your point of view? Well, if they failed 100% of the time, they wouldn't have a business. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I was talking more in terms of success rate. So yeah. if we're successful more than X percent, then our OKRs are too low. I'm sure a mathematician would come up with that exact uh, number, whatever that percentage ought to be. Uh, and I think sectors are more or less risk averse than others. Mm-hmm. For instance, yep. venture capital emerged as a reaction against Wall Street investing, right? So they're going to be more risk tolerant, for instance, in a venture capital backed organization than they might be in a conservative publicly traded one. But that doesn't mean it's any less important. Uh, I'll give you two examples. Um, uh, Human capital uh, standards are now driving OKR behavior. Uh, ISO standards, international standards of, I don't remember what the acronym is, have always defined things like quality and business uh, investing. And in Europe, they've recently adopted human capital ISOs. It's fascinating. To, so that all publicly traded companies need to know things like ethics and retention and commitment to leadership and integrity. These are things that uh, publicly traded companies have not always shared. Yeah. Second example, there's a bill in the House of Representatives right now with bipartisan support that's likely to uh, be passed soon for a similar human capital initiative in the United States. What will that mean for a publicly traded company here? Well, it'll mean the same thing as... as in Europe, the example of the ISO. Well, what will it mean for a private company in Denver, one of your clients or neighbors? It may mean that they would be expected to share things like their retention or their business objectives, which gives them a competitive advantage now that they never had with a competing company. Well, I think those human capital objectives are going to redefine in the next few years uh, all kinds of ethical behavior. I think OKRs are going to force us to be more ethical leaders, more transparent leaders Yeah, for those two reasons. How's that for a big vision, huh? The future. I love it. Yeah. I, and what I'm really curious about is then how does that lead into the practice of leadership? I think you and I both agree that leadership isn't something you do and then you're done or take a course and then you're done, but it's really about a practice. And you lay out a number of different practices in your book. OKR leadership, what are some of the, maybe the most important ones that our leaders should be attuned to? How about if I give you a really short answer? Two items. Perfect. Write it down and share it with others. Yeah. Because when it's written and articulated in some public manner, then others are aware of what what you think is important in your future. Mm -hmm. If you share it with others and solicit feedback, now you've got a conversation. I think there's a myth that managers are great coaches. Well, managers are not great coaches. Managers have never been taught how to coach, but the number one skill for managers is to coach others. They have to master that skill. 
Yeah. Because by definition, they've got to master the productivity of others. Well, how do you coach that person? My personal belief is that everyone is coachable. And it's naive of me to say, uh, George, I'm picking on George. Uh, I don't know a George. George is not coachable because he's got a fixed mindset. To me, that means Doug needs to adapt to George's OKRs. Mm -hmm. If I know the objectives that he thinks are valuable and important in his career, and then I can coach George, now I can manage George's expectations. Well, that's one reason that I developed this book. Uh, It's based on a bunch of research I did that was globally validated. I think managers need to learn how to coach. Mm -hmm. And they can. (laughs) Yeah. And so... As we think about the practice of leadership, that becomes one of your the core practices that you see as absolutely critical. Let's go back to the, the two steps. Write it down, solicit feedback from others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I might think that my OKRs are really useful and valuable and all that. But if you tell me or my clients tell me, no, that, that's just silly, it'll be wasteful or uh, won't get that objective because those yeah. KRs are not measuring what you need to be measuring. I would say, thank you very much for your feedback. You're right. And then I'd modify them. These are not rigid or cast in stone anywhere. <laughs> right. And the notion that the cadence of every three months is the best notion, uh, cadence is uh, silly. That was developed because technology people are, are familiar with a three-month cadence when they do agile-based sprints. Okay. I've got clients who want an OKR cadence every month. Others want it every two months. Others want it every six months. And for them, that cadence is perfect for their business. Yeah. Yeah. I love that thinking. Uh, I did a podcast with Eric Rosa in season one, former CEO of Data Logics, and he led them to an acquisition with Oracle. And we started off our conversation, and, and he brought up the idea that the notion of even this idea of having a year long planning time frame, where did that even come from? And <laughs> Uh, in his own thinking and, and with many of our listeners and, and leaders just changing the whole notion like, okay, quarterly makes sense, but maybe that doesn't make sense. Like sure. wh- where did these time frames even come from? I don't know the short answer to that one, but yeah. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> the long answer is, uh, you know, leopard tracks in the snow that lead uphill. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But that's the thinking, that's the thinking in the future that, leaders can really challenge themselves around. What's right for our organization and what has been done traditionally may not be what supports us as we're dealing with the increasing complexity and the chaos of our workplace. I'd say it's stronger, so probably will not be supportive. Yeah. If we don't respond to new environments, we know this as a species and as an organism, as an interconnected business culture and, and, and social culture. I think OKRs help us break down those or bridge those silos that commonly exist between HR and operations or sales and corporate and regional, all the silos we're very good at perpetuating. <laughs> yeah, w- without a doubt. Absolutely. Doug, where can we get hold of your book, Objectives and Key Results? Um, for the folks that are listening, I'm showing it on my video screen. This, uh, this podcast will come out on our YouTube channel at some point in the future too. Now you tell me this is videoed. I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd wait till the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, anywhere is the short answer. It's uh, yep. certainly on Amazon and, and all the digital platforms. And I think you'll have some links to this, but my two websites also have links to free content that people might appreciate. So, okay, our leadership.com has a white paper 
and some testimonials uh, from a recent program I did in, in Atlanta. It doesn't matter where it was located. And the action-learning.com uh, website has a number of digital contents. These are programs that are available at no cost for anyone. So in 10 minutes, in theory, somebody could click on that and they could learn enough that they could, they could play ball. <laughs> yeah, that's great. We'll have those links uh, in our episode notes at 512solutions.com for folks that are listening to the podcast. Doug, it's been great having you on the show today. Thanks for taking the time to, to be with us. My pleasure. This is fun. Go, awesome. go, go. <laughs> awesome. You do the same. We'll see you around, my friend. Thanks. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.